So, Will. Yes? I know you're a much bigger Star Wars fan than me, so your answer might be a bit more obscure. But who's your favorite crew member on the USS Enterprise? Um, okay. Um, sure. I guess if we're going original series. Yeah. Okay. We'll take it in context. The first series only. The later stuff, the prequels, the sequels, not as good. Okay, well, I don't know about that. Deep Space Nine, pretty cool. Okay. But original series, I've got to go with Leonard Bones McCoy. He's a ton of fun. He's got kind of a sarcastic energy. He calls Kirk on his crap. But he's also got a little more heart than Mr. Spock. And also in the J.J. Abrams movie, he's played by Carl Urban, and he's great. It's hard not to have more heart than Mr. Spock. I mean, what we learn, though, is that Mr. Spock does care deeply. His heart grew three sizes. Indeed. Over the course of the show. One size each season. Yeah. I think my favorite to play into type is probably Sulu, because George Takei is great. Have you seen the episode where he is shirtless running through the Enterprise, waving a sword at people? No, but now I want to. So Sulu is not canonically gay in anything until Star Trek Beyond. Right. But that episode is the one that people always point to as like, something is clearly going on here. (laughs) There's something wrong. He's like glistening, running around with a sword. It's great. I mean, I'm really into that. (laughs) Um... Guys, I, I, I'm sorry to do this, but I, I don't think that we're all on the same page. We're doing uh, the sequel to the great science fiction movie. This is Wrath of Khan. Ah, okay. <laughs> that's, that's not what I prepared for. And I actually, Star Wars, I'm more of a Star Wars kind of gal. I don't, I don't know Star Trek. Could, do you think we, we could do Star Wars instead? I mean, I don't have to watch it. I can just do it now (laughs) from memory. (laughs) I will say... You're ready? To break the bit for a second, Will probably could very easily have not watched this yesterday to record. Yeah, actually, what is probably the movie that today I could just come in and be like, I watched this movie. Back to the Future, subject of a future two-hour episode. Fair, fair, fair. fair, Perfect summer blockbuster. It is! I'm going to hear your points before I... Like, your criteria. (laughs) Criteria before I make that decision. For Back to the Future? Yeah. Well, I did discuss this on our episode last year on Raiders of the Lost Ark, which, like this movie, was written by Lawrence Kasdan. Sure. But... That's only similarity. I mean, Harrison Ford is also (laughs) in them. I know, it's Go ahead. (laughs) But... I think Back to the Future does a really good job of being generally accessible for all ages. Okay. Great for a blockbuster. Sure. It is funny. It's got really solid jokes. Mm Mm-hmm. It also is just masterfully scripted and paced, where, like, everything that happens, everything that is said serves a purpose. There is no wasted time in Back to the Future, because time is so important in that story. (laughs) Okay. That's fair. And the climax between the Enchantment Under the Sea dance and the thunderstorm coming in and Marty's own attempts to tell Doc Brown about the future, all of them interweave really well to build drama together so that each of them hits a climax one right after the other to the point that I've seen this movie probably like 15 times and I get into it every time. Especially like the moment when the branch falls and the cord is broken and it looks like they're not going to be able to get everything in place before the lightning bolt strikes the tower, the clock tower that needs to be saved in 1985. I'm a little bit worried. 
Because don't Marty could disappear from the material now, Will. And then disappear from so the world. Mark so angry that I brought this up. That I, I know. more. I'm, I'm never going to be invited into your home again. Don't ask follow-up questions <laughs> with Back to the Future. It's just... There's too much there. Oh, that's he's, fair. I'll listen right, to there's you. There's so probably, much there. He's probably, he's probably said all of this on the Indiana Jones episode already. Which I have listened to, I will say. Yeah, it's been a while. It has. Almost yeah. exactly a year. Wow. I'm trying to think of what movie I could do in terms of romance without re-watching it. And the thing is, a lot of the movies I've watched a lot have none, such as the oh. film Clue or Lord of the Rings. <laughs> hey, there's romance in Lord of the Rings. Liv Tyler does appear in those movies. <laughs> Guys, it's a blink and you'll miss it cameo, but Liv Tyler is in the Lord of the Rings series. In a role expanded from the books. <laughs> That's the saddest part. You guys say a one-scene flirtation. That's so, true. There you go. Speaking of movies that have nothing to do with romance, when I wrote that in, the movie one day I'm going to make Mark do is Captain America Civil War. Amazing. Well, but the romance is between... Well, sure. Between Iron Man and Captain America. I'm talking about the one inexplicable makeout scene oh, yeah, between Steve Rogers and Sharon oh, Carter. Oh my god. I forgot about that. That made me so angry. With Falcon and Winter Soldier just watching from sure. the backseat. Sure. Oh, yeah, it's in a moving car, isn't it? No, they no, like get afterwards? out under an underpass. Oh, okay. Dumb aspect of that movie. Anyway. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, real quick, though, who is your favorite obscure Star Wars character? I want to go last. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I didn't... I knew that question. I did not prepare an answer. Go ahead. I mean, mine's not going to be too obscure, because there's way too many. I feel like you're the caretakers from The Last Jedi. Uh, the little turtle nuns. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I was also going to go with Dexter Jetster. Ah, Dexter Jetster! (laughs) Because for some reason in the prequel series, there is a 50s diner. That character could be in Back to the Future. Oh my gosh. 100%. But you are correct in reminding me, the true answer is the Turtle Nuns. Because... Why? <laughs> There's an amazing deleted scene from The Last Jedi where, like, the Turtle Nuns are throwing a party and they get really pissed at Rey for interrupting it. <laughs> I really want the final villain to be revealed as all of the turtle nuns just stacking on top of each other and it becomes the ultimate Sith Lord. Well, in the Rise of Skywalker trailer, we hear the Emperor laughing, but what we're going to see is it's just a <laughs> caretaker <laughs> with a big club. I think it's just a bunch of them on top Doing like of a each Vincent other. Adult Man yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I... I mean, I feel like my favorite obscure one is Chewie's wife from the special. <laughs> have you watched it? Yes. Oh my god, we have to watch it. Oh my it. gosh, you what's need her to name? See it. I know this. I mean, I haven't I haven't seen it in forever. This is like high school height of Sure, but I was a hardcore expanded universe person. Oh, and yeah. Chewbacca's whole family were major characters. Amazing. His kid becomes a Jedi. <sighs> That's uh, that his just son, makes me so happy. His son Lumpawarump. Yeah, Lumpurump. Who goes by Lumpy? <laughs> well, we know like what he's doing in his retirement, which is still just like hanging around the rebellion. I love that this <laughs> is a joke. A very absent father. Well, that's the thing. This is a joke from Jason Manzukis, who talked about the plot of the holiday special is about Chewbacca being a deadbeat dad. <laughs> uh, what's her name? His wife is Maladabuck. Maladabuck. So she's your pick. She is my pick. My pick is also... She's raising those children on her own. And raising a Jedi, nonetheless. Yeah. That's, it's important work. I know that. Yeah. That's really important. My pick is also original trilogy era. Mm. It's gotta be my main man, the rock star that we all deserve, Max Rebo, the blue elephant man who plays in Jabba's palace. Oh, yeah. He's the coolest dude in any of these movies. He just sits there 
bopping out on his keyboard. He's got these big floppy ears. Sure. He's do great. Th- do you think that he's serving out some sort of sentence for Jabba, or do you think he's well compensated? I think it's like his Vegas residency. Oh, yeah. Like, Max okay. Rebo had an incredible career, yeah. and now he just has one gig that he plays three times a week. And now he's Billy Joel at, at Madison Square Garden. Exactly. Yeah. And he's hard. got Cy Snoodles singing along. He's got Droopy McCool playing in his band. That's the name of a character. Star Wars is kind of garbage. Star Wars is amazing. <laughs> and all of these characters are just named for the sake of toys. Is George Lucas a bad writer? <laughs> I mean, based off of everything after the first one, yes. yes. Are the prequels really bad? The prequels, the most expensive independent them. films of all time. Uh, wow. Where was A24 when you... <laughs> I know. <laughs> Will and I tried to rewatch Phantom Menace and it was just... Can you imagine... So much worse than I remembered. Anakin Skywalker being Timothée. <laughs> That'd be kind of good. He would be so much better. That's he also be presumably... <laughs> are you imagining Anakin Phantom Menace as Chalamet or Anakin Clones and Sith? Mm, I'm thinking Clones and Sith, Because now... I think it'd be interesting to age up the Phantom Menace character. Oh, so the last time I've watched all of them, like, in succession, was in... Uh, I was on a plane from the U- from D.C. to Qatar and then Qatar to uh, Ma- Malaysia. And so I watched all of them. And my notes on the first one were, like, not bad. Just By the first me- one, you mean oh, Phantom Menace. Menace, yes. Episode one was, like, not bad, just less whiny children. <laughs> like, I mean, that's my daily it, life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Will, how was your day at work? Not bad, just less fewer whiny children. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's your main note. Imagine a world where the same actor played Anakin Skywalker and Paul Atreides. That would be wild. I mean, so much sand. <laughs> Too much sand in one man's sand. life. Oh. I'm like, just Anakin rough and coarse. <laughs> it gets everywhere. All right. Okay. Not the not the, not the sequel we're here to discuss. <laughs> it's true. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm Ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast. We've got a mystery to solve. We're going to dig in. We're going to look at the clues like Detective Pikachu does. He's our guy. I know we talked about this last week, but he's still our guy. He's important. He's going to figure it out. I believe in him. I don't know yet, but I believe in him. If anyone can solve the case that is the world right now, it's Detective it's Pikachu. Pikachu. And if he ever can't get a lead, he can take a Camino saber dart, bring it over to Dex or Jetster, and Dex will be able to tell him where to go with it. Just like we are taking this movie to this podcast to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Or even likable. You know what? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation or if it's not clear whether it takes the same amount of time as the other plot in the movie. Because it seems like that one takes like a couple of weeks at least. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this one takes maybe a few days. Either way, we're going to dig in. We're going to see what's there. I'm really excited about it. This week, we've got someone who's going to help us out. Longtime listener, Catherine Key. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I've been dropping hints subtly to Will for the last year and a half. Well, we're really excited (laughs) to have you. You, of course, were the person who invited me onto your radio show many Uh, years ago. Yes. Yes, the Marilyn show. Right, that's what it should have been called. <laughs> uh, yes, I had an I had a, a radio show called um, From Sea to Shining Sea, where every week was a different state, and then I made the people come on and talk about their state, and then we played songs by artists from the state, maybe songs that had the state name in the title, or just the song. It was great, I loved it. The listenership was my parents and my nana, who, when I told them I was doing this tonight, they said, oh yes, like your popular radio show. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, as far as they knew, it was popular. It was. What was your time slot? Um. Oh, we had a great time slot. Uh, you know the the prime ten p.m. on Friday nights. <laughs> yep. I thought it was a different time. <laughs> no, it was. Did we record that live? Yes. I had no sense of time in college. It might have been like eight p.m. It, it might not have been ten, but we would like go and record. It was with my my roommate, and so we would go and do that, and then head to tombs afterwards. It was a very. It was a great like tradition that we had my grandmother definitely emailed my entire family to let them know that i would be on it oh. and they all listened oh that's amazing our our listenership increased tenfold that week every once in a while she asked me how to listen to this show and i do not respond <laughs> that's 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 probably a good a it's good for the mood. best yep i don't think my nana's gonna get this one either all right so Catherine, we have definitely caused some confusion about <laughs> Yeah. What it is we're doing this week. <laughs> Set the people straight, Will. So why don't you tell us what movie you've brought to us and why you think it's one we need to consider in our investigation. <clears throat> okay, so I'm bringing the second installment, confusingly named episode five of uh, Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, part of the original Star Wars trilogy um, where we follow Luke Skywalker, Leia, and Han Solo through uh, the universe as they try to defeat Darth Vader and the evil Empire. Uh, and I, this actually isn't even my favorite of, s- of the Star Wars. I'm a New Hope kind of girl because I love the uh, I love the scene at the end. I love that, the battle. But so by the scene at the end, you mean, I don't mean the, the Battle of Yavin, <laughs> not the throne not room the, sequence. Not the throne room sequence, although sometimes when I'm feeling dead, down, I'll watch that because the music is really good there. That Han winks at Leia, which we will get to. That is my point one. Um, <laughs> Wait, I have not looked at these. Your point one is from the previous yes, movie. Yes, yes. it's I, important to know the backstory. I looked at that and I was. Well, think of it this way, though. If it was Fiona, it would be a point zero. Yeah, I I considered doing point zero, but I made a point one, and I tried to keep it tried to keep it short. And so I wanted to choose this one because I think this is really where you get to see the relationship of Hansela and Princess Leia kind of blossom because they're kind of separate. They're separated from Luke for most of the movie, so it gives the two of them the opportunity to get to kind of see their love story and how it progresses. Also, when we, I was thinking about like my interest in movies and like love stories. I was having a hard time finding like a movie relationship that I really resonated with. I found that all of these relation like uh, fictional relationships that I think about a lot are mostly TV shows. And that's because I have so much time to like see them develop and really kind of like live in their relationship. And so the closest I could get to that was making you do uh, part of a part of a three part <laughs> because it's kind of like a really long television show. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And one that, much like many television shows these days, keeps getting revived. It just keeps going. We know so much about their backstory and where they are now. That is interesting. I feel like there are a lot of more famous relationships from TV. And it it makes sense. It's just because you spend more time with this couple. Yeah. So you have more time to get invested. I mean, I've been one of the few TV shows that I still watch, like, live right now is uh, Jane the Virgin, and I feel very invested in all of those, like, relationships, and I was trying to think of a movie that I am similarly, like, very invested in, and I couldn't really think of one. But this one is a pretty good one, though. And at times, similarly soapy. Yes. I mean, this one has a dramatic parentage reveal. Yes. Yes. Uh, Have you watched Schitt's Creek? Uh, I've watched like the first couple episodes, but I have okay. not, I have not stuck with it. I know I need to. Yeah. David and Patrick later in the series yeah. becomes like a relationship that I'm almost too invested in sometimes. That's very fair. I so, understand that life. <laughs> so we're talking The Empire Strikes Back, which yes. as you said, is the sequel to 1977's Star Wars, later subtitled A New Hope. Yes. That movie was a huge hit. 
It won six Oscars and was nominated for Best Picture. It won Oscars? It won six Oscars. Wow. And like I said, it was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. It lost to Annie Hall. (laughs) That movie was, of course, a huge hit. It made $307 million. That is not adjusted for inflation. That is $1977. Yeah. This movie was still a success, but decidedly more modest. It only made $209 million. Again, that's $1980. So still very good. Aye, aye, aye. But... Its reception was a little mixed at the time. It's very much a darker movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's not as swashbuckly mm-hmm. and it's fun as the original movie is. It is also worth noting this is much more of an independent movie. Lucas self-financed this movie by taking out loans and mortgages so that he could do it on its own and have more control. That's interesting, though, because this one notably is not written by Lucas. Yeah. Which is probably part of why it's one of the best. It is not directed by Lucas. Although I, did you read about how uh, he, you know, he kind of like gave this control to other people and then he gets the first rough cut and he's like, this is nonsense. And so they have to go back and do all of these reshoots, which cost him a ton of money. I mean, it's still cheaper than most movies. So he makes his, his return on investment, but it was definitely like marred with a lot of problems. He never works with Gary Kurtz again because of how poorly like this went down. And it's actually not just Kurtz who gets out as a result of this. The studio chief at Fox, Alan Ladd, was kind of forced out of the studio for giving Lucas too good a deal. The fact that yeah. Lucas maintained the merchandising rights, which is central to the story of Star Wars. It's why he's able to own like a fair portion of the county of Marin in California. He also let Lucas have sequel rights. And so because of those two things, Alan Ladd was kind of forced out of Fox, which is why Indiana Jones then got produced at Paramount instead. Oh, interesting. Now, like we said, this movie is neither written nor directed by George Lucas. It's written by Lawrence Kasdan, who at the time was also writing Raiders of the Lost Ark, and who went on to also write The Force Awakens and Solo. Oh, I didn't know he wrote The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And it's directed by Irvin Kirshner, who was one of Lucas's professors at USC and had directed adventure films and like educational <laughs> films mostly in the 1950s and i i saw an interview with him uh in kind of the bonus features because i pulled a will and watched all the bonus features and he is a very enthusiastic uh speaker about this and he talks like this and he just is very his big intonation with all of his things as he talks about it and you can really tell how much he loved like directing this and how important it is to him i mean it's a great movie it really is And he declined to direct Return of the Jedi because he had just spent three years of his life on a Star Wars movie and didn't want to do that again, which is a shame. I would love to see his version of Return of the Jedi. Probably less. uh, There would probably be fewer, uh, fewer, uh, not Wookiees, what are the... Wookiee backwards. (laughs) Oh, Ewoks. That's where the name comes from. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, Ewok, of course, is a word never said in a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I assume that was the merchandising It's all the merchandising. (laughs) Get that merch, man. Why can I not buy a Porg? A stuffed animal. Can you not find them? They're everywhere. I couldn't find. Can you find? I could not find like an appropriately sized stuffed animal after this previous movie. Now maybe there is now, but my boss gave me an entire porg themed uh, like file folders, and I have like porg themed like paper clips. That's amazing. But because I wanted a stuffed porg so badly. Well. I guess if you mean appropriately sized, you mean 10 foot. That might be hard to find. Mm. Like the stuffed rabbit from Iron Man 3. Yes. But if you would like... I'm looking for. If you would like a life-sized talking porg on Amazon, it is $20 with Spoiler, free shipping. Spoiler, the porg talks only with lines by Dexter Jetster. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. 
What is it saying? I don't know. I know saber dart. <laughs> I assume it says stuff like, please don't eat me. I feel like this is going to be one of those Furby situations where I'm going to find out that it's actually being like, I'm recording me um, and I'm going to have to put it in my closet and, yeah. <laughs> and try not to think about it at night. Sending your information to the CIA directly. Yes. So another fun fact I learned about the production of this movie, Mm -hmm. since Lucas did not write or direct it, that actually led to some controversy during the release, because at the time it was still very much standard for credits to appear at the beginning of a movie. Mm, And Lucas wanted his credits to be at the end, like the old adventure serials, and he was really particular about that. And he wound up actually getting fined a quarter of a million dollars by the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild for not putting writer and director credits at the beginning of the movie in violation of their guild rules. He had gotten away with it in 77 with the original Star Wars because they ruled that the Lucasfilm logo counted as the credit. Also, no one expected anyone to see that movie. Right. Then, in 1980, they were saying, wait a minute, this is you basically putting your name at the beginning, but relegating the writer and director to the end of the movie. So they sued him. Lucas paid the fines, but withdrew from the guilds. Hmm. So he's not in them anymore? Correct. Which makes sense, because this is a very anti-labor movie, uh, as we see in Cloud City, and all of the disparaging comments that Lando Calrissian has to say about uh, about unionized labor. And we, I now see where that stems from. I mean, that puts Lando in the long tradition of Star Wars characters like Maz Kanata, who are very cool, but seem a little anti-union. <laughs> a little anti-union. <laughs> That said, I would watch the crap out of Maz Kanata going to war with the Union, which is what's implied to happen in The Last Jedi. I, I in fact, would love to see those negotiations. Is George Lucas just, like, secretly terrible? I mean, he's very liberal. I know. And he also donates a lot of money, but he seems to really hate organized labor. I think he's more of just, like, a grumpy man. Yeah, Yeah. he just hates everything. I feel like he's, I don't know, I get a Bernie bro vibe from him. Was he old when he made Star Wars, or is he just always old in my brain? He's He's old in his brain, and in your brain. I think in both brains. I mean, the thing is, this stuff is early in his career. So Lucas makes American Graffiti in like, what is it, like 73, 74? Gets nominated for Best Picture. He then makes his follow-up, Star Wars. Gets nominated for Best Picture. And then after that, basically just makes Star Wars movies until... Red Tails in 2012. Among other famous... But it would be like if, like, Francis Ford Coppola, like, after The Godfather, just started making, like, Conan the Barbarian movies. Yeah, I don't know. This It was, like, this film apparently put a lot of strain on his relationship with his first wife as well, and they were divorced, I think, within, like, two or years. Oh, well, Marsha Lucas is, like, one of the big conspiracy theories of Star Wars because she was the editor on the original movie. Uh... And there are a lot of, sort of, unattributable stories out there that the movie was very much a mess until it got into the editing room and that Marsha Lucas kind of created Star Wars. Yeah. And that then what happens is in 97, they put out special editions, which are re-edited enough that Marsha Lucas is not credited on the special edition of A New Hope. That's like the the Trader Joe's guy. Oh, too <laughs> much Chuck. Wife, too much Chuck, just trying to make sure his ex-wife never gets any of his money. That's so mean. Actually, I was listen- in one of the interviews that I was watching with Lucas. He was talking about how editing is actually his favorite part of this because he sees the like the filming of the content as like chopping down the trees to make the wood, and then the editing is actually the building of the house, which I feel like you see a lot because he loves to re-release things that have been yes. edited. 
I don't know, superimposing people. Which actually, do you know which one y'all saw? Did you see? Did you see an old lady as the emperor? Did you? No, see we saw Ian McDiarmid. Yeah, I did too. So we actually were really lucky. The AFI theater in Silver Spring over Star Wars weekend was showing all of the movies, all of the episodes. Uh, amazing. So we got to go in and see a screening of Empire in a theater on their biggest screen. Ugh. And I had never seen any of the original trilogy in a theater before. Yeah, how does it how does it differ? It was incredible. Yeah. I mean, you just get a sense of the scale of it. It's that wonderful thing when certain movies start and you can see the curtains move because the yeah. picture is going to be as wide as it can possibly yeah. go. And it draws a lot of attention to... It's like a Disney ride. Right. It's, <laughs> and it draws a lot of attention to the way that Kirshner makes this movie that's different from A New Hope, a movie mm-hmm. I know much better. Yeah. Where so much of it is in on characters' faces, one or two of them in a frame together, because this is a movie that's about people Mm -hmm. more than it's about the big spectacle. Yeah. It's not going to blow up the Death Star at the end, and that's really awesome, but this one is going to put its climax with people talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, talking about Lucas's relationship with his wife, Leia and Han's weird romance is less surprising. Oh, I think their relationship is fun. I think it's fun, but it's also definitely not exactly like... Pro love. We love the love on this podcast. (laughs) We do. Lucas does not seem to love the love. (laughs) To be fair, we also hate murder on this podcast. And depending on which version of the movie you watch, Han Solo might be a murderer. Oh, whether or not he shot first. Indeed. Yeah. Well, he did. So. He did. He did. He did. I will appreciate. I don't know that I had ever watched the special edition of Empire before. Uh Or if I had, it was probably just like once or twice. Okay. Okay. It is clearly, far and away, the one that is least tampered with. Oh, interesting. There are, like, a couple of transition shots that are added in. Some of the Cloud City scenes, they change blank walls into being, like, windows with Bespin skyscapes. Okay, yeah. But... Makes sense. Compared to, like, A New Hope and Jedi that add in full sequences of CGI mush, there's none of that. Yeah, I feel, like Empire. I, I feel like I saw maybe one that I didn't know whether or not it was. See, There's CGI a weird shot on Bespin of yeah. like an airship flying yeah, through yeah, clouds. Yeah, yeah, Okay, that, that was added in, I assume. Yeah, yeah. but like okay. that's the only yeah, really glaring not, instance. Yeah, you don't... And then the Emperor. Right. So the two other big changes are that they replace the woman gorilla Emperor from the original Empire with Ian McDiarmid in his creepy Darth Sidious makeup. Yeah. And... They dubbed over Jeremy Bullock's lines as Boba Fett with Tamira Morrison. Gotcha. I assume I've seen the, like, the original, because I had mine on VHS. I had the original trilogy, like, on VHS. Did you have the black slipcase with the different faces on them? I did, yes. Do you think that that means that I saw the That's the 1995. That is the original version. Yes. Okay. I I don't think I've ever seen the original, because we didn't own Star Wars until DVDs. Oh, Oh, in 06, there was a DVD release that had both. I have that. I don't think we got that, because I think we got, like... (laughs) The, the cheapest one. Yeah. You can't find it online. I've yeah. like tried to. It's it's a it's a hot topic in the Amazon uh Amazon review. I may comments. have a file of the 1977 version of A New Hope. Oh wow! I will not confirm that I have that, but it's oh, sure. possible that it's on the computer that we're recording on right now. Oh my god! Hallowed ground. <laughs> I might be able if it were a thing that I had, I could conceivably zip it. I. Would conceivably be very thankful. Okay, cool. Zip it good. Zip it good. Hashtag. (laughs) That is a weird hashtag to get out of Star Wars. Zip it good. I'm really into it. (laughs) That's what I do every morning when I put on my pants. Zip it good. Zip it good. (laughs) All right. uh, Should we we get rolling? I got some other stuff I can talk about, but I can work it in as we go through. Shall we talk the love? Which we love. 
We don't love murder. So nope. We're a little more iffy on that one. No, we are we're very not iffy <laughs> on murder. We are anti-murder. There is no question about this. We are staunchly pro-love. Did you guys take a vote on murder? We've been staunchly anti-murder. Honestly, I think part of the issue, we came out against murder very bravely uh-huh. early on in our time as podcasters. <laughs> okay. It was when we recorded our Vertigo episode oh, where yes, we met I my remember. girlfriend, Midge. Midge, yep. Yep. I remember. And Jimmy Stewart was, was dating this murderer in the movie. <laughs> he was trying to, uh, trying to get with a murderer. Do you understand? <laughs> and all that time, my girlfriend, Midge, is yeah. just trying to get him to pay attention to her. Yeah. She does that awesome thing with the painting, where she paints herself into the painting of Lady Carlotta. A renaissance woman. And I think, for me, part of my opposition to murder is because watching this murderer indirectly hurt Midge uh-huh. was really hard for me, because I care about her. Gotcha. We all know Midge is a lesbian, though. Like, in the end, it's going to be, she lives in San Francisco, it's going to be 1969, she's going to find the true love of her life, and the two of them are going to settle down and be happy forever. Well, Midge sure. and her wife. In Vertigo 2, the saga of Midge, the sequel that we pitched in that episode, Midge investigates the legends of San Francisco with the League of San Francisco occult historians, one of whom probably introduces her to the world of lesbianism. Who's probably yep. a witch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, then there's Vertigo 3, Midge to the Moon, which we also <laughs> talked about at the time. Wow, I forgot that part. Which is... The film The Right Stuff, but starring Midge instead of Sam Shepard. <laughs> and then, of course, after that comes Vertigo 4, Geostorm. <laughs> the other movie we pitched in that episode, which is just a straight remake of Geostorm, but every character is Midge. Yeah, Midge, interesting. Every single one. Every single one. They the even, brothers. Instead um, of Dustin. And they don't change the character's name. It's like President Andrew Palma, played by, played Midge. by Midge. Okay, got it. They also, instead of, instead of calling it Dutch Boy, they call it Midge. Right. <laughs> Got it. So That's even- the only name that you hear as Midge. And we hear at the beginning of the opening narration, the story, the famous story of about Midge, Midge yeah. plugging the dam with her finger. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Excuse you. <laughs> you know what the legend is actually about. This all checks out. Yeah. I'm, I'm still upset that Secretary of State Midge <laughs> betrayed the president. Midge. Yeah. <laughs> Lucasfilm, if you're looking for your next independent <laughs> film to finance, here you go. Uh, this studio made Howard the Duck, so they can make my Midge Geostorm movie. So true. <laughs> it's just called Midge Storm, right? Midge Storm. No, it's called Vertigo 4 Geostorm. <laughs> true. This time they have Vertigo because they're afraid of being all the way up in space. But there is no up in space. Ooh, that's what they learn. They learn you don't need to be afraid of heights (laughs) when there's no up or down. That's the tagline, there's no up in space. Anyway. Okay. So every week, we take the romantic plot line of a movie, and we break it down to make it uh, manageable, little bite-sized chunks, into the five points that best summarize that relationship. I still have not read these, but I'm told Catherine is stretching them across multiple <laughs> movies, which is not how this works. I was given no rules. <laughs> you were literally told, come up with the five points. You've listened to the show. I have listened to the show. But I feel emboldened by Fifi Fierce. I feel like there's precedent. She should be a model for no one. <laughs> I feel like there's precedent for bringing in stuff from previous movies, but it's always a point zero. But okay. Whatever. I mean, all right. I can renumber if you would like. No. no life goes so on. I think Catherine is trying to do you a favor because we all know you hate point zero. I just like order. I'm the one who has to edit this thing. <laughs> all right. So Catherine, nerd. as our guest, as our Empire Strikes Back expert, Strike. why don't you walk us through the five points of this relationship? 
Which I assume is between Luke Skywalker and the Wampa. Yes, it is. It's a short-lived relationship. It ends in bloodshed. It ends in bloodshed. Is it actually about all of the snakes on Dagobah? So many snakes! So many snakes. I have never noticed. Also, they definitely told Mark Hamill that they were harmless, and so when he's taking one out of his uh, ship before he's about to leave, it bit him. Really? Like I would just be like, unacceptable. So many unnecessary snakes. It's fine. I won't yell about that. Okay. How many snakes would be necessary? Uh... It's space, so you could justifiably say none. None, yeah. Yeah, we just assume that, uh, yeah, there should be none. St. Patrick has gone to (laughs) To Dagobah Dagobah and bans them all. Okay, sorry, getting back to it. This week we are studying the love story of Han Solo and Princess Leia, later General Leia, of Alderaan. And the first point that I have, we're actually, we're we're throwing it back to Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Um, I think that this is important context. I love context. I took my strengths quest, and context is one of my favorite strengths. So that's how I have to justify this. I can't be changed. Um, essentially, the most important thing that you need to know is uh, Leia is a badass princess. She has a PhD. She is basically, yeah, that's that's canon. <laughs> is that it? is canon. That I had forgotten that. Do you think she went 19? to the same, like... Young politicians camp that Padme went to? Probably, but you know what? A PhD is a PhD. She's just following in her mother's footsteps. Yeah, she's so brilliant. Yeah, she... Oh, no, she doesn't die young. She does not die Just everyone else she knows. Oh, R.I.P. Not really. Han's not young. Well, she doesn't know him when everyone she knows dies. Oh, you mean at that point? Yeah. Okay, I thought you meant, like, when she died... Got it. Not dead yet. Not dead yet. Oh, true. (laughs) Not dead yet. Okay, and so she basically is a princess who uh, is also part of the Rebel Alliance, Han Solo is a space pirate. Um, and she is captured by Darth Vader, and Han goes with Luke Skywalker, uh, spoiler alert, who turns out to be her brother. What? <laughs> what? Han, of course, is purely motivated by reward at this by point. By money, yes. So he he basically has said that he needs money because he job of the hut, which will come back. He's got a bounty on his He's head because he dumped the cargo head. from the Kessel Run. Yes, exactly. And so he needs to repay this debt to Jabba, so he has agreed that if he helps save the princess from Darth Vader, that he can have this money. So they interact. It's very Jack and Diane. Um, she calls him lots of names. She is unimpressed with his and Luke's rescue of her. And later in the movie, she calls him out for just being motivated by money. Yes, definitely. Leia's the best. She's, she's great. She's amazing. She's a weirdly developed strong female character for the 70s. I also have to say to Carrie Fisher's credit for a lot of it. So you'll see one, actually one of the scenes that we'll get to later, but where they're deciding to go see Lando, you can see Carrie Fisher's like re-edits of the scene. And they're just like small tweaks where she's like, I don't know what that is. Like, where's that? Or she was asking all these questions and she changed it all to her being like, I don't think there's anything out there. So she changes it from being like having no knowledge to like making her a very like knowledge for it. Which really sets up her being a great military general. I don't know. Yeah, no, Leia's the best. <laughs> She's yeah. amazing. And I think that's something we realize more and more the more movies there are. I think Jedi doesn't give her a ton to do. Ugh. She should have been a Jedi. I'm so angry about this. Um, I have lots of feelings. That said, I have long been a big expanded universe nerd. Uh And they jettisoned a bunch of the old canon in 2014. Yeah. As they had to do. Sure. Gotta clean it up. But of the new stuff, the best of it by far is the book about Leia as a politician. Ugh. I would love to read that. She's clearly, like, 
the best general in the galaxy. Oh, yeah. Even without any of the Jedi power, she is a brilliant tactician. Yeah, although when we're talking about generals in Empire Strikes Back, I have to shout out one of the all-time great Star Wars Twitter accounts, which is just called Veers Watch. It's a fan account of General Veers, <laughs> who commands the Imperial forces on Hoth. Sure. And all they do is just anytime a new piece of Star Wars media comes out, it tweets out whether or not General Veers appears in it. <laughs> and I'm assuming the answer is usually no. It's usually no. It's but like usually no. every Wednesday, basically, a new Star Wars comic comes out yeah. and they'll just tweet out like Star Wars issue 64. No Veers. No Veers. But then, like, one time he appeared, and they posted, like, eight times Amazing. that day. Oh. One of my favorite jokes, like, running, it's not a joke, but running bits in this movie is Vader just killing people and then promoting the person <laughs> that just happens to be standing next to him. Yeah. In, like, one of the first of the original Expanded Universe novels, they made that text where one of the main point of view characters was an Imperial officer, mm-hmm. and... He talked about how getting an assignment on board the Executor, Darth Vader's flagship, was seen as the fast path to promotion, but a very risky one. Sounds about right. Okay, but bringing it back to Han and Leia, specifically in A New Hope, there's a lot of bickering, and Han is actually going to leave to go pay off his debt, but in the last minute, he comes back proving that he can be loyal to a cause and, like, have friends and things like that. I think more loyal to a friend at this point. Yes, definitely, which I think is, it's his pathway. It's um, a similar journey that we see time. Finn go on mm-hmm. in the sequel trilogy. Definitely. And at the end, she awards both Han and Luke and not Chewie, upsettingly. I, as I put in my notes, that's that's just racist. <laughs> and Chewie just has to stand there and doesn't get a medal. Leia's a human supremacist. It's, it's, yeah, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> you think she's wonderful, but, um, and you see them kind of walk in at the end of the throne room. There's the great kind of, like, celebration music. I actually don't know what William's song it is at the end of A New Hope, but she puts the medal on Han. He smiles and winks at her, um, and she blushes. Because really in the first movie, they're setting up that there's going to be a love triangle between, like, Luke and Han and Leia, and that they're really going to be fighting over Leia this entire time. And I feel like that's the moment where Han definitely becomes the top contender. With and I the think wink. you see, yeah, with the wink. It's an amazing wink. I There's a link in there if you would like to watch it. I do want to note that Chewbacca did get a medal at the MTV Movie Awards. Oh, God, goodness. From Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Justice for Chewbacca. See, Carrie Fisher knows not to do that. He was relegated to basic cable and <sighs> was not allowed to be awarded during the feature. Oh, God, an MTV Music Award. MTV what award? Movie Awards. Movie Award. That's, I, what? Yeah. I've I think it's still a thing. Really? Yeah. MTV Movie? Yeah. Yeah. Aren't the VMAs movies too now? Oh, I thought that that was music video. I have no idea. The VMAs is Video Music Awards. Video music yeah, Awards. I think it. I think they've kind of maybe combined them into both, but I'm not sure. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, then point two, we will finally get to the actual movie, and I will. Uh, I'll play by the rules. And so, this is Hoth. Han, we need you. We need. Yes. Well, what about you? Need. I need. I don't know what you're talking about. Probably do. We're now in The Empire Strikes Back. We are now in The Empire Strikes Back. Like we mentioned, the original movie was originally released as Star Wars. Yes. This one was originally in development as Star Wars 2. Sure. And then the first draft was written by Lee Brackett, who was a woman who had done a bunch of work in like sci-fi and fantasy pulp novels, Mm. like cool adventure kind of stories. Oh, cool. She came up with a lot of the beats of Empire, the plot that it still follows. Mm -hmm. One big change 
in her version, Luke Skywalker's father appears as a force ghost who gives him advice. Yeah, and it was Darth Vader who killed his father, right? Right. Yeah. Brackett then died of cancer. And wasn't able to continue with it. So Lucas took over. He wrote a couple of drafts before Mm -hmm. eventually handing it off to Lawrence Kasdan because he was impressed with Kasdan's work on Raiders. And while Lucas was working on his drafts, he decided to lean into the serial motifs by making it an episode. And then it was episode two for a while. And it's not until like the sixth draft of this movie that it becomes episode five. Interesting. Because at that point, he had decided on the Vader is the father thing. And And so he started fleshing out more backstory for what that would mean. And he's like, ah, this is a two trilogy situation. And this is the second half. Oh, I completely thought that that was made up in the 90s so that they could sell more movies. I thought that they renamed the movies, like, 4, 5, 6, right before 1, 2, 3 came out. That's my understanding of what I was reading. No, I... Yeah. This is all difficult to get to the bottom of. Completely. Because Lucas has been wildly inconsistent for decades about how many of these things he planned to make. Yeah. Where at various points he claimed he was going to make six, nine, twelve. He talked about some of the details of them. None of them map with what he eventually made. At one point he talked about a nine film arc, but like the Emperor didn't show up until like episode eight in that framework. So it's very difficult to find out what his plan was. It seems more likely that he had lots of ideas and didn't really hammer a lot of it down. Just a man with a dream. Yeah, but if he had nailed it down where the Emperor didn't show up till 8, the prequels may not have happened and we never would have heard about the trade conflicts. So here's my opinion actually on Phantom Menace. (laughs) It has exactly the wrong amount of parliamentary debate. There should either be much less or a whole lot more. Interesting. Yes, I agree. as a government nerd, I would watch more stuff in the Galactic Senate if they gave us more of a sense of how it all worked. And it was a little less racist feeling. Sure. But, like, if we had less of Ian McDiarmid just being like, bureaucrats are terrible, and more of, like, parliamentary negotiations, some of which we later get in the... more Robert's Rules? Yeah. I mean, like, so, like, the Clone Wars TV show does some of this, where they have Senate negotiations and things like that. And I think it does it really well. I think Phantom Menace just hits that, like, middle spot where there's... Too much for it to just be, like, waved off the way the movie kind of tries, mm-hmm. but not enough for you to get really invested in what's going on. Interesting. Cut to Hoth, which looks surprisingly like uh, Norway, because that's where they filmed it. It was the worst snowstorm in 50 yeah. years. Also, apparently, all of the uh, all the extras were Norwegian and didn't speak English. Really? And so they had to act, the, like, secondary director who was on the outdoor things, he just had to, like, act it out and, like, point at something as where they need to be pointing their guns, because obviously you can't see any of the, of the, models. Of the models. I heard that more than one Tauntaun died, and the American Humane Society was pissed. I mean, at least it's not a movie about Tauntauns, like a dog's purpose <laughs> abusing dogs. <laughs> that said, would watch a movie about Tauntauns. And their purpose. <laughs> a Tauntaun's purpose. <laughs> it keeps getting, does it keep getting reincarnated as other Tauntauns or as other animals in Star Wars? As other Tauntauns and all of them end with someone sleeping, sleeping inside, inside their gut. <laughs> because that is a Tauntaun's purpose. A Tauntaun's purpose is shelter. Okay, so this is three years after the destruction of the Death Star. It's a rebel base um, on Hoth. And basically, we cut to this place where uh, you see both Han and Luke doing a lot of their, like, military, you know, they're, like, 
they're they're scouting. They're on patrol. Yeah. yeah, they're on patrol. They're scouting. Han comes back and basically it makes this a pronouncement that he has to leave. He needs to talk to Jabba the Hutt. And as General Riken says, a bounty's not an easy thing to live with. It's not. And it's all because of a bounty hunter that he ran into in Ord Mandel, who told him about this. Fun fact, which is why I'm bringing this up, there was a 1983 NPR radio show about uh, I know the about rebel this. mission to Ord Mandel. And I could not find it in the five minutes that I took trying to Google it yesterday. There was also, during the period where these movies were coming out, there was a Marvel comic series called Star Wars. Oh, cool. That was largely jettisoned when the proper expanded universe started in the 1990s. Okay. Because it is a weird series. I would imagine. It's super bizarre. Highly recommend people check it out. Now, the current Star Wars series, also from Marvel, is very, very good. Yeah. Many of the Dark Horse comics from the 90s and 2000s are very, very good. 70s and 80s, Marvel Star Wars is weird. Weird stuff. And they did do a story about the bounty hunter of Ord Mandel. Well, it's always good to know. It's one of those lines that just begs explanation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, like, you can see that Leia is visibly upset that Han is considering leaving. She keeps looking over her shoulder at him <laughs> while he's talking about this. Shooting a daggers out of her eyes. It's pretty amazing. And then she basically, like, they do a Sorkin-style walk and talk where she's yelling at him for not caring about the rebellion. And then Han calls her on her shit and is basically like... You want like, me to stay because of how you feel about me and she's like no because that's that was what was cool in the 70s was to pretend that you didn't like someone it's great that's always a good romantic strategy it is never tell a girl you like her it, it makes, makes you look, you like, look an like an idiot <laughs> and he's like oh what you're mad i was gonna leave without a goodbye kiss and yeah. she's pissed and they're storming like, around i'd rather kiss a wookie that can be arranged yeah. Actually, in one of the deleted scenes, while that conversation is happening, you start seeing, like, a paw come through the wall. And this was actually, like, another Yeti-type... Another Wampa? Another Wampa, thank you. Another Wampa that's, like, in the walls of the Rebel base. Ooh, and the that Wampa, Wampa in the walls. That sounds like one of those, like, like generic, like, September thriller movies. The, the girl the on the train. The Wampa in the walls. And then when, uh... You know, Darth Vader shows up shortly. The Wampa attacks the stormtroopers and Darth Vader, but they cut that entire aspect of it. But they're having this like very emotional, charged conversation, and you just see like a claw start coming through the wall. That's amazing. Surprising that it was cut. I think it may have been the right decision for the movie. The that wrong feels like some Lucas me. That sounds like some Lucas versus Kirshner tension right there. Yep, yep, yep. That's some classic Luke versus Kirsch. Yeah, but essentially, are you Team Luke or Team Kirsch? Uh, I don't know. Well, ask me that again at the end. Okay. But, you know, he's about to leave, and it turns out no one can find Luke. Where is Luke? And as we established, Han is really is really attached to Luke. It's why he makes most of his decisions for being a good person and personal growth. And so he tries to go and find him. And this is where they open up a tauntaun for warmth, you know, blah, blah, blah. We don't care about Luke. It does result I, in one of the all-time great pieces of Star Wars merchandise, which is a sleeping bag shaped like a tauntaun. I've never seen that. That's amazing. Did you own one? No. Ugh. Upsetting. Yeah. Upsetting. Well, but then they basically, they bring Luke back. He's recovering because he basically had this attack. And Han starts teasing her again. She's like, I don't know where you get all these, like, delusions. He, he's going on about, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, she revealed her true feelings to me. She's crazy about me. And, like, clearly ribbing her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to get back at him, Leia goes and uh, kisses Luke on the mouth. And Luke looks very excited. He has the best response. He just, like, throws his arms behind his head and, like, kicks back. Like, oh, boy, that was a kiss from a lady. <laughs> 
Apparently, it's a reference to when Chewie wins the chess game in the in the episode before that, mm-hmm. where he sticks his head and hands behind mm-hmm. the back. But that leads to one of the ultimate things. Do you guys think that Lucas knew that he was going to make them brother and sister? I do not. Really? No. Okay. I think maybe it, maybe by this point, but in the first one, no. Well, okay. So then when we get to Yoda later so on the, saying- So there is another. Yeah. I think it's plausible that he had it in his brain in Empire. I don't think he had it going on in New Hope. Okay. So, that's that's where I'm at. Okay. All right. So do you think that this kiss is just weird or just like a leftover aspect of- I think it's both. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think right. it is think leftover it, from earlier ideas and is also weird. Yeah. Luke and Liam as siblings may have been a rewrite and the kiss may have been an original draft and the just they just no weren't meshed up well. <laughs> someone didn't someone didn't keep their story continuity board like classic. It is worth noting, classic scene. Leia calls Han a stuck up scruffy looking nerf herder. Mm-hmm. A nerf herder. Who's who's scruffy looking? Not 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 Harrison Ford. Not Harrison Ford. Not Harrison Ford. Also, he I looks heard- less scruffy in this than in Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, by a lot. By a lot. He Han Solo is Clean one of shaven. Harrison Ford's more well kempt characters, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. Um. Actually, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this episode is because Han Solo is my first crush. Like yeah. my first. My first movie crush. And I stand by that. That's a great. good choice. Yeah. What is your position? And then I loved Indiana Jones as well. So, like, it also just became a Harrison Ford thing. Harrison what is your position on Alden Ehrenreich? Uh, I think he's handsome looking. I Did I think the movie was great? No. I think it's pretty fun. Eh, it's fine. I, I, Fairly I have, disposable, but pretty I, yeah, fun. Yeah, I have no desire to see it again. I was not angry that I saw it. Like, yeah. I refuse to watch Revenge of the Sith. Like, I refuse. I hate it so much. Fascinating. We will come back to why later on when we talk about Because I find that to be one of the more compelling prequels. interesting. No. I have an important question for you, though. Yes. Where do you find Harrison Ford at his most attractive? I have a specific (sighs) moment in my mind across... I mean, all of it. it. Yeah. Star Wars, Indiana Jones... You're an Ender's Game Harrison Ford girl, right? I acknowledge that Harrison Ford, like, continued to be a very attractive leading man all through the, like, 80s and 90s. But still, my top is when he winks at her at the end of A New Hope. Okay. It will forever be, which is one of the reasons that I include it as a point. I don't know. What is your... your Mine is in the worst Indiana Jones movie by far. Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. He is crazy hot in that movie. It's still my favorite. At the dinner scene when he's wearing his glasses. Ugh. And then he takes them off, like, seductively. My heart stopped. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite Harrison Ford, uh, like, promotional photos, which I look at pretty right, like, I look up, you know, photos of these characters together, um, is when he's wearing just, like, a sweater and, like, a white white button-down under it. And oh, that's a great his look. his really thick, gla- his, like, round glasses. Yeah. That look like you're smart. If you want to have some fun digging around Harrison Ford stuff, look up any interviews from Comic-Con when he was there to promote Cowboys vs. Aliens. Amazing. Which was his first time doing Comic-Con, and he clearly hated it so much. Yeah. Yeah, this man's not... He's he, not a happy man. He not he, he not a happy man. He's not a happy man. He took the opposite direction of Mark Hamill of, like, embracing yes. nerd culture and, like... Well, Hamill had it doubly because he's the Joker. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Well, but also Harrison Ford's... You true. Know, from Blade Runner, like... Indie. Indie, like, some of these... He like, likes classic. Indie way more than Han Solo, though. Yeah. That's he true. loves playing Indiana Jones. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Indiana Jones 5, Colin, Indiana Jane. 
That's how gender works. That's not actually the subtitle, but Spielberg gave an <laughs> yeah. interview at one point where someone asked him about I a it female. Was Indiana Jones. No, it was Indiana James. Oh, I thought he. I thought he was like we'd have to name her Indiana Jones. Spielberg said that a female Indiana Jones would have to be a different name, which yeah. is. Yeah. I feel like he was probably just like caught off foot and was like, I don't, I don't yeah. know, whatever. That's the clever choice that yeah. you get from. I guess it would be like Henrietta Indiana Jones. <laughs> Oh, because Henry. Yeah. Isn't his first name Henry? It is. Yeah. He's Henry Jones Jr. Yeah. And Shia LaBeouf is Henry Jones III. Naturally. Anyway, point number three. Okay, point number three. So the Empire, uh, Darth Vader has landed on Hoth because they found out where the where uh, the rebel base is. And he's, he's looking for Luke Skywalker because he knows that Luke is strong with the Force. I don't. I, do you think that Darth Vader knows that it's his son right now, or do you think it's not until the em- Emperor tells him, like later on? In just watching the movie, uh-huh. I don't think he knows. Okay. In current expanded universe continuity, <laughs> he knows. He does. Okay. I agree with Will, and okay. that he doesn't know. I uh, am just obsessed with this guy. Yeah. Just because it's the first powerful force user that's not him or the Emperor. That's his fair. job is to hunt down the Jedi. Yeah. Right. That's true. That's very true. Does Vader ever know about Leia? Well, he knows that she exists. He's hunting her on the Tantive Four at the beginning of New Hope. As far as knowing that Leia is as his, his daughter, daughter. That's what I mean. He finds out in Return of the Jedi on the Death Star 2 when they're in the elevator. He discovers it. He tells Luke his thoughts betray him. Okay. Which is crazy because if he can feel it with Luke, it's, it's just ridiculous that he wouldn't. <laughs> like, he spends so much time with Leia. Like, right. over those, those first But Leia movies. doesn't have that information. He feels Luke thinking, thinking about that stuff. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, also, Anakin knew about Luke. He didn't Anakin know about... Anakin knew about one kid. Right. He didn't know kid. about he the twins. One child. That's right. fair. That's fair. I just... I feel like Padme... He would feel Padme on her. Whatever. They're not actually in love. It's fine. <laughs> we'll come back around to that okay. again. <laughs> but they ride around on the potato animals on Naboo. <laughs> he hates San and loves her. So, basically, they need to escape the Empire because Leia, like any good like military leader, is just trying to get everyone off and is spending to the very last moment um, before she also tries to leave. And basically, Han comes and uh, pulls her away and says that they have to evacuate. And they can't get on the transport, and so he says, we're going to go on the Millennium Falcon. And they escape. And they escape. And then they're flying away. They're flying through some Imperial ships. In the special edition, they're flying through a lot more TIE fighters. <laughs> and less potatoes and shoes. Yes. And then Han decides to fly into an asteroid field, which is a crazy move. Because the problem isn't big asteroids. The problem is tiny asteroids that crash into your ship oh, and punch times? tons of little holes into it. That's yeah. the real problem. Death by a thousand asteroids. Right. But he does it anyway because he figures the Imperials won't be dumb enough to follow him. But Vader tells them to do it anyway. Because Vader clearly does not value human life. Yeah, let's pour some out for the first uh, <laughs> yeah. the first the first man that Vader kills because he's upset that they went into the they won't go into the asteroid field. The Millennium Falcon hiding on Vader's ship is one of the coolest things it's great. in this movie. And then they hide in the garbage. Yeah. And that's how the, they release. But first Between they, those two things. Between those two things, they go and they just they go into this tunnel that is really squishy weirdly and moves around a lot. Yeah. Um and they start doing repairs on the Falcon because it can't go into hyperspeed. Hyper it can't jump into higher hyperspace. Hyperspace. Thank you. Can't jump into hyperspace. And so they have to do some repairs on the Falcon. 
Oh yeah, this is where you get to see them. Uh, some flirting. Some flirting. Some top tier flirting. Yeah, as Leia is welding, which again, great general also knows how to just weld and do ship repair. Well, I mean, this is like, I mean, this is basically like a terrorist group. You yeah. gotta be able to do lots of jobs to keep your stuff working. I guess. I'm just wondering. It's also like because ships are so complicated. When you get your driver's license for ships, you have to learn things like welding and. Power couplings. I would like to... She's also been hanging out with Han for three years and has probably been on this ship a few times and learned how to fix it. Yeah. I'd like to think her PhD is in welding. That that's actually... (laughs) Not ship repair. Doctor. (laughs) Welding. (laughs) That's a a DW. Doctor of welding. Doctor of welding. But this is where Han comes in while she's trying to repair and they share their first kiss. And, yeah, she likes him because he's This a is during the scoundrel conversation. Yeah, this yeah. is a scoundrel. And then C-3PO comes in. <laughs> Cock lock of the century. Cock-lock. Lock the door, guys. You have to lock the door, Han. That's his biggest. If uh, 3PO is around, you have to lock the door. I love how just obnoxious everyone is to 3PO in this movie. Because it's Leia who shuts him off at yeah. one point. Yeah, they really hate this guy. He also was trying to tell them very vital information. The whole time. <laughs> and they're just like, shut up, man. That's why we need, I mean, to bring it back to Solo, that's why we need the droid revolution. There you go. From Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Gosh, Lucas really does hate. (laughs) Does hate unions, doesn't he? All right, so anyway, they kiss one time. And then they find out that the tunnel they're in is a giant space worm. Ah. My favorite thing in sci-fi is when they're like, this is like a giant animal that just lives in space. Yeah. Like, uh, X-Men does this and Star Wars Rebels does this too, where they're like, there are just whales that live in space. Just roll with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Futurama that explains that the space whales actually live in the fourth dimension and they have to breathe matter. So they breach into space to like breathe matter and go back into the fourth dimension. That is crazy cool. Okay, actually, speaking of breathing, when they when Han yes. and Leia d- d- disembark from this, they put on masks. But you don't see people, like, casually putting on space masks ever. Like, wh- how do you think, I guess you just have a, a database to know when you do and you do not. Well, they're yeah, in open space in this moment. Yeah, but this is the thing, too. So they're inside the space slug. But, like, okay. Which presumably... I guess makes some kind of environment because if it were actually a cave, you would think they would just depressurize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the rest of their body is not secured. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It must be a big enough asteroid to produce gravity too. And so then it has an atmosphere. Right. But at the same time, they are wearing the first example of like space well, breathing apparatus. Because at the end, when Luke comes out of like the trash chute and he's like hanging off of. Star Destroyer, right? No, no, that's the oh, no, mining that's platform. That's, that's right. Okay, that's still because so that's still within. I have another that's question. Still on um, that's still on Bespin. Yeah, okay. I have another question about that though. Is if they're like mining for gases, mm-hmm. why is the air slightly above it breathable? I'm assuming they're not just mining for normal air. No, they harvest Tabana gas there. It's what you use to power blasters. But then why is, like, being slightly above the level of clouds breathable air? I don't know. Why does every planet have one biosphere? Yeah. How can everyone breathe? Well, don't they terraform? I mean, you could terraform, but, like, Dagobah is not terraformed. It was the snakes that Hoth did Hoth is it. not terraformed. The snakes <laughs> traveled from Earth and brought oxygen. Do we think they're intelligent snakes? Is that possible? Well, they're smart enough to bite Mark Hamill. Yeah. They know when that guy just can't catch a break. He gets attacked by the Wampa, too. Yeah. Oh, poor guy. Also, actually, I forgot to mention this, but when they were filming on Hoth, 
his child was born like that morning and then he had to come and like film this head off he left the hospital and went straight to filming yikes because mark hamill is the most dedicated man on any of these movies while we're talking about dagobah though let's talk about real quick can we talk about frank oz yeah yoda is a muppet Especially in that first scene when he shows oh, up. Yeah. It okay. is just a Muppet movie. Actually, so on of, the- We should do another Muppet movie on this show. Couple, I have I have some Muppet facts for you because I know yes. my audience, which is well. So first off on the Amazon thing, when Yoda essentially first shows up and is being really like annoying. This is on Amazon X-Ray? Yes, on X-Ray. The fine of service. Course, the fine service. He's credited as irritating primitive life form. Like Frank Oz is not, it's not like Frank Oz as Yoda. It's Frank Oz as- irritating primitive life form amazing yeah exactly so that's probably how it's listed in the script i would imagine so. yeah also uh lucas wanted jim henson to do it but jim henson was working on um the great muppet caper aka the best of the muppet movies well yeah we'll, we'll do that one next <laughs> i love it so much have you seen that one not in a long time that's the one where the human man is in love with miss piggy and it's a love triangle with her and kermit I why did we do the other one then? Because that's the one where they get married on stage and Kermit doesn't know until it's oh, happening. That's true. That's a little too a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. He signed with his left hand. Anyway, also to make Yoda be like weird and very childlike was a choice by the director. Like that's all improvised at the beginning. It's so great. Isn't that crazy? It is really weird to just all of a sudden be in a Muppet movie and yeah. then no longer in a Muppet movie. But it also works so well. I mean, that's the test. It works really well. One of the things I like about this movie, too, is that it takes one of Luke's character strengths from the first movie, which is his desire to go out, to go beyond. It's Luke Mm -hmm. standing and looking at the twin sons. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, it takes that same trait, but it makes it his flaw. Where that's the thing that puts Luke in danger, that gets his friends trapped. And so the challenges are building on what came before, but they are fundamentally different. That's what happens when you have a woman write it. Yeah, uh, but anyway, so while Luke is on Dagobah learning to become a Jedi under Master Yoda, Han and Leia head to Cloud City, which is point number four. You certainly have a way with people. Uh, basically, Han has this old friend, Lando Calrissian. Played uh, by Billy D. Williams in an incredible caped performance yes who originally auditioned for han solo really i didn't yes, know that which would be a very interesting movie if han solo was black i think i'd be really into that that'd be cool more of him would be a good thing yeah. he's gonna be in rise of skywalker i'm pretty excited about that oh i forgot about yeah, you that you can see him flying the the falcon it's awesome but essentially han's like i have this friend it's a mining town but don't worry he doesn't like the empire and they go and they are welcomed on basically the tarmac by lando and lando immediately starts hitting on leia and han is not here for he's it. grumpy he's grumpy and he goes in between them and breaks them up in a classic classic hollywood move so now they're on cloud city they've been able to you know shower leia looks nice new hairdo new hairdo apparently in one of the deleted scenes han starts going on this rant about how nice she looks and she finally looks like a woman and she's dressed like a woman more and i'm glad they cut that out for sure (laughs) there's a lot a lot that was cut out where han is telling leia that she's like not feminine enough and that would have made me very sad. And that would be a this, worse movie. Are we sure? Movie. Are we sure this just isn't moments where they accidentally filmed Harrison Ford telling Carrie Fisher she's not feminine enough? <laughs> that she needed to lose that extra 10 pounds that they had told her? Yeah, rough, but true. So anyway, uh, Leia brings up again about Han leaving, because again, it's hard to live your life with a bounty on your head, as we know. And, you know, he's like, I just need to get you to safety. I've done that. I'm going to go and do it. But then, turns out... 
Lando betrayed them. The betrayal of Lando. No. It's an f- interesting way to meet your future father-in-law for the first time, is to have the door open up <laughs> and Darth Vader being like, why don't you come down and sit for sit for some lunch? What a classic villain move. So good. It's very, like, Bond villain. It's, it's very Bond Voldemort, Bond. too. Voldemort was a big fan of dinner parties. All the greats are. <laughs> I will say, I always feel a little bit for Lando because the Empire showed up before the Falcon did. And... Lando is in charge of this place, and as much as he is maybe not wild about the unions, he does feel a certain level of responsibility for protecting the safety of the people under his jurisdiction. When he gets the chance, he tries to take action to protect them from the Empire. When things go south, he goes out of his way to make sure to alert everyone that they should evacuate. And so I do think, for him, there's a tension between helping his friends and doing his duty. Lando is clearly not a villain. Yeah. And through his whole time in the movie, he's not a villain. He is a man in a very difficult spot. He also gets the he gets the chance to basically like make right pretty much immediately. Yeah, I mean, from the from the first moment, he is attempting to rescue Leia. And and you could say like definitely in, in the, Return of the Jedi. In Return of the Jedi, like yeah. completely is able to you know, make up for it. And ultimately risks his life kind of leading the assault on the Death Star too. Yeah. He definitely basically negotiates to keep Leia and Chewie safe. He's yeah. pretty much only attempting to sell out Han. Who? Because he doesn't have the option because Boba Fett is right. there. So basically, Han eventually gets tortured. You see he's brought back to the cell and Leia comforts him. Um, Something I noticed this time that I didn't remember having noticed before is what Han says to Leia is, they didn't even ask me any questions. Yeah. He's just tortured. Yeah. That's a rough moment. He sells it well, too. Yeah, it's rough. And then Han punches Lando when he comes and tries to be like, sorry, man, didn't mean to do this. But, yeah. So you again, And Lando tells them he doesn't even care about you. Vader isn't even just worried Skywalker. about you guys. He right. just wants Skywalker. Which, now cut back to, this isn't has nothing to do with the romance, but cut back to Luke, and Luke is now making the choice. Do I stay and continue my Jedi training, or do I basically fall into this trap? And he chooses the trap. And he chooses the trap. And I don't feel like he's punished enough for that. He does lose a hand. He loses a hand. I guess, yeah, but then they immediately give him one that seems just as useful. But also... Maybe if the hand cramps every once in a while, I would feel like... It's not until they know that Luke is coming, until they confirm his ship is coming in, that Han is put into carbonite. That's true. Which brings us to point number five. It does, but what is the point of Luke losing his hand? They give it back to him so fast. Yeah, they were like, we're not... We're not doing the CGI. We're not paying for this. <laughs> I don't know. It's big in the moment. It, but then yeah. also you don't have to deal with him not having a hand. Yeah. I guess because one of the things that Lucas said is that, and that's why he has Yoda say there's another one, because he wanted the audience to think that Luke could die. Because he was like, I killed off Ben Kenobi. Like, I want people to think that Luke can die at any moment. And so I think also having him lose the hand, like he loses his uh, lightsaber with it. And I think that is truly where he's like, oh, Luke might die. Like, it might be up to Leia and Han. I think that the universe, or that the galaxy would be in good hands if Leia was the person who was in charge of getting it all back together. But, I don't know. I think there's also something interesting, symbolic going on there as well, where one of Luke's great fears, even before he really realizes it, is the possibility that he could become a Vader. Oh, yeah. That's the dark side cave. That's what he sees when he cuts off the helmet of the shadow vader and he sees his own face in it 
that's the threat of him going to the dark side in Return of the Jedi. And I think that this moment of Luke becoming a little bit more machine is reflecting back to on Mm -hmm. what Kenobi tells us about Vader being more machine than man. It's that same threat of what could happen. And so then when we see Luke for the first time in Return of the Jedi, we see him in black. We see him manipulating the minds of the Gamorrean guards in Jabba's palace and of Bib Fortuna. And there is this kind of question mark. Is it possible that... Luke has gone bad. Yeah, that's true. Looks like an evil, evil monk in the beginning of that. Okay, but back to point number five. I love you. I know. Vader figures out that he needs to freeze Luke to take him back to the Emperor, and he decides to test the carbon freezing on Han because Boba Fett wants to take him back to Jabba the Hutt. So they're like leading him to go and being frozen. Lando tells him it's going to happen. Chewie kind of freaks out and starts like throwing guards, throwing guards which I don't know why he wasn't fighting back harder earlier or why they don't have him in handcuffs. It's a large Wookiee. Come on. He is put in handcuffs later. He, yeah. yeah and then, after this. After the fact. They were like honor system at the beginning. And uh, Han's like, you have to take care of Leia. And he kisses Leia. And then as they, they rip him apart and putting it in, and she goes, I love you. And he goes, I know. <laughs> Which was originally scripted as I love you too, and Ford didn't really care for it. It was just remember that, Leia, because I'll be back. And then Ford didn't know if he was actually going to be coming back. This is on my x-ray. <laughs> I know at least that <laughs> at one point, one of the lines in the mix was, I love you too. And that's the one that Lucas was committed to by the time they were done. Oh, interesting. And he was really grumpy when he found out that Kirshner shot I know, because that was the last take they did. Yeah. So they shoot the I know, and Kirshner's like, all right, we got it, we're good. And the DP was like, are you sure? <laughs> and so then Lucas made him arrange two separate edits one with i love you too and one with i know so they could hold separate screenings to yeah. see which one the audience is like more lucas is like people are gonna laugh they're gonna think it's a joke and curse is like yeah that's what han solo would do yeah. and they don't know if they're ever gonna see him again so you want them to like have one last laugh with han solo and they screened i know first and it played like gangbusters and yeah. they never bothered to screen the other one. Oh, interesting hmm. i mean it makes sense I feel like it's... It it, fits. It fits. I also think the power dynamic between the two of them that comes with age that you don't really talk about because, again, this is, like, fantasy. But if she's theoretically, like, 21, 22, and he's 33... Yeah, he's, like, a good 10 years older. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is very much what you would expect it to come through. And that's kind of the end of our love story. Yeah, Yeah. that's the end. Because we don't see Han again until Return of the Jedi. It's hard to have a love story when someone's encased in carbonite. I mean, we did the big sick, (laughs) which is basically the same. Not wrong. I will say as a little little pin on the end of that, eventually when they do save Luke through telepathy between the twins, she kisses him again. Yeah. When she's taking care of him. (laughs) I was surprised. I had forgotten that. It's like, why Why does she keep kissing him? I don't know. I don't feel like they have any sort of chemistry. But I feel like Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher do. Yeah. So I, I don't know if this is just like they were I think it's just Luke's a dork. I got, yeah, I also really dislike Luke in the original. So I love Han. All right. So that uh, that does it for our romance then, right? Yeah, that's yeah. the romance. Okay, so we watched this middle chapter of the original Star Wars trilogy. Do we find this romance between Han and Leia to be believable? Yes. I think dangerous situations have a tendency to bring people together. They've gone through a lot together. Let's remember, it's been three years. Mm -hmm. They've been spending a lot of time together for a while. There's definitely room for feelings to grow. 
I think one of the interesting things about this relationship is that the power imbalance cuts in a couple of different directions. Right. Mm -hmm. Where we have this age disparity that Catherine just brought up, but within the Rebel Alliance, Leia is much more significant than Han, where she is one of its top leaders. If not the top leader in this movie. In this movie, she is the top leader along with General Riken. Yeah. In other movies, we have characters like Mon Mothma and Admiral Akbar, but it seems like on the Hoth base, she might be running the show. And so that's kind of this other wrinkle, which makes this relationship interesting. Also, their backgrounds. I mean, if we're taking Han as canon, which it is. like uh, Solo? He, solo, excuse me. Um, oh, are you talking about the Oliver Twist beginning where he works for a giant <laughs> worm works, lady <laughs> yes. named Lady Proxima? There are a lot of great ideas in that movie. Why isn't the whole movie that? It would be great. I would love to watch a musical version of that all set to Oliver, like, music. Go back and watch the giant worm sequence from Solo. It rules. I don't know why they didn't write the script and realize, oh, everyone that's not Lady Proxima is dead weight and cut everyone else and just made a Lady Proxima movie. What's wild to me is that (laughs) along with Infinity War... And Proxima Midnight, Last May had two different Proxima characters in major blockbusters. Interesting. Anyway, do you find the relationship believable? Oh, yes. I I definitely do. I think it's believable. I think we're going to get to, if I think it would continue, I think that's different. But definitely, I see these two people definitely having feelings for each other. The chemistry, like, blinds you with how intense it is. Yeah, I love it. It I, is great. It is great. It's the, yeah. I, I think it's an ideal, like, first boyfriend for Leia, too, if that makes sense. I don't know if it's a great last boyfriend. Okay. Shake her out of her comfortable, yeah, pampered life. Exactly. I mean, nothing says pampered like the <laughs> echo base on the hop. <laughs> so if we had to rank this on a 10-point scale where zero is totally unbelievable, uh-huh. 10 is 100% no doubts, where would we put this movie? Can you guys give me a little bit of calibration? Because I feel like mm. I'm always significantly higher than all of you, but... Okay, um, The Shining was a nine. Yeah. Shining was a nine. Because the only thing that's wrong with it is that no one would marry Jack Nicholson. Otherwise, we, it's just a troubled... It's, it's just a bad, it's it's just a like bad a relationship. relationship. Um, While You Were Sleeping is the three, because Bill Pullman is hot, but the train business is madness. Yeah. We just gave A League of Their Own a ten, because there's approximately 30 seconds of interaction. And that seems reasonable. Okay, well, I'm going nine, then. You're going to nine on I'm this. I'm going nine. I was thinking eight. You know... My gut says eight, but I think I'm a nine. What's your heart say, though? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm a nine. Oh, I love it. It's strong. It's really It's real strong. good. I think the thing that yanks me down is the weird Luke stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I will say, and it's such a Hollywood trope, but, like, the whole her saying no and, like, pushing back when he's, like, trying to kiss her, it's just very tired and yes. probably is not the way that it would be happening if it was not made in the late 70s. But, probably. Yeah. Do you guys think either Han or Leia or both are dateable? Leia, without question. Yes. I would date the hell out of Leia. Yeah. I mean, I would also date Han. It would just be a poor choice. Yeah, it's probably a bad choice. Han would be a great, like, three-week sexcapade. He's who you want in Dirty Dancing. He's your summer. Yeah, he's a summer fling. He's a summer fling. That's a great answer. Okay, but if you had to pick any other person in the movie to date, who would you pick? I you mean, could pick one of them. There's an obvious choice. Dexter Jetster is not in this movie, Mark. <laughs> it's the Wampa. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> is as good as a terrible puppet. <sighs> I'm torn between a couple of characters that I just really appreciated yeah. this time. Like, I paid a lot of attention to General Riken, who is not, like, the hottest dude in the movie, but I appreciated his steadiness and his yeah. sort of stalwart leadership and his understanding of Han 
I really Mm -hmm. appreciated that. I'm always delighted whenever I remember that John Ratzenberger is in this movie because he is John Ratzenberger. He plays one of the soldiers on Hoth. Oh, nice. He is Cliff Clavin on Cheers. Yeah. And in my brain, he is both characters in this movie. He is Cliff Clavin in the Battle of Hoth. Did you know that Joe Johnston, the director of Captain America, the first Avenger, is also has a cameo in this movie? Yeah, well, Joe Johnston got his start in visual effects at Industrial Light and Magic. Oh, yeah. That, that checks out. So he worked on this movie. He worked on Return of the Jedi. He, of course, very famously did the final visual effects sequence against the Dark Overlord of the Universe and Howard the Duck. And then went on to Famously. become a director of things like Rocketeer, Captain America. I mean, my answer is probably Chewie, even I... though he's a deadbeat dad. <laughs> well, that means he's free to date you. Exactly. It's not a good showing for him, but Lando's cape and demeanor oh, and his smoothness yeah. just... I feel like I'm coming off as, like, weirdly high on Solo in this, which, again, I think is, like, fun, but mostly disposable. Yeah. But there's a great bit in Solo where... where he's trying on the capes. You see Lando's closet of capes. Oh. I would definitely date Lando in Solo. Yeah, he's great. I actually, I appreciate Lando, like, trying to be responsible. I get it. Do we think that Han and Leia would stay together, based on this movie? Throw out everything after this movie. Yeah, no. 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 No, definitely not. She can do better. (laughs) Yes. She should do better. He also probably should die. (laughs) Yeah, which Harrison Ford argued for. He said that by Return of the Jedi, Han's story arc is complete and he should be killed off. Yep, definitely. And I firmly believe the reason he agreed to come back for The Force Awakens was the promise that he would die <laughs> and that he would never have to do another one of them. Again. There would be no amount of money that they could offer. <laughs> yeah. Whereas he does seem perfectly happy to do other returns. He's great in Blade Runner 2049. Mm. And of course, he loves Indiana Jones and will be in Indy 5, I believe, next year. Yeah. Indy 500. That's, that's coming <laughs> it's up. the same, right? Yeah. Last question, because this happens to so many of the movies that we cover, should The Empire Strikes Back be turned into a musical? No. An opera? Ooh, I like that. <laughs> opera, maybe. Opera. Make the space opera literal. So, yeah, exactly. There it's... aren't enough literal space operas. <laughs> there should be more. Yeah, that's my answer. Okay, but I like that. I'm still leaning towards a no. I think, honestly, my answer is going to be no for a while because we need to, like, stop. We need to dial back. <laughs> The fact that we've done so many with this leads me to no on all the future ones. Now you can do Beetlejuice. Tony nominated. We should do Beetlejuice, though. That movie rules. I do have one that's a yes. What's that? Down with Love. I mean, that movie is desperately begging to be a musical. Yeah. Yes. It's not. It is. I just listened to your episode. I actually haven't seen it. But... It is a musical in every way, except that there are no songs. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's one in the credits. Yeah. Oh, but it, that's what I'm thinking of. It's like begging to be one. And Peyton Reed has talked in interviews about how he tried to direct it like it was a musical. It's like, yeah. just go the extra mile. Yeah. yeah. That's less on him than the writers. Yeah. Because he can't write music, I'm guessing. Probably not. So, anyway, Down With Love, make it a musical. Everyone watch it. I talked about it at work today. <laughs> it's great. All right. I think that probably does it for Empire for today. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for letting me come and ramble about one of my favorite movie sagas. No, we're so happy to have you. Thanks for being on it. Thanks for letting us do a Star War. Oh. Yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime and maybe talk about one of the prequels with you so that we can dig into that. So many thoughts. We should do Attack of the Clones. (laughs) Okay. All right. But next week, we are going to be doing something different. Something still with some science fiction elements involved we're bringing back an old favorite guest to talk Our about medical expert to medicine 
We're going to be having my sister, Nurse Mora, back on the show to talk about the pure medical science of the fly. This is a movie from the 80s starring Jeff Goldblum and Will's wife. And my Jeff Goldblum Davis. becomes <laughs> a fly. Midge. I was like, Midge is, Midge is my movie? girlfriend. Gotcha, sorry. Uh... Yeah, Jeff Goldblum becomes a fly. I don't know much else about it. I haven't read about it at all. Well, don't worry. Maura will explain the medical process. <laughs> okay, to us. thank God. Science. This is why we're bringing her on. Right. She's until- also our, apparently our Jeff Goldblum expert. From the tall guy. Yeah. All right. Well, until then, you can, of course, follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. As always, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps other people to find the show. Last question before we go, Catherine, what is the best piece of dating advice in The Empire Strikes Back? Take a girl into a live worm, and that's where you make your move. I mean, based on what works, the answer is negging. I was going to say, make out with your sibling in front of them <laughs> to make them jealous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Use your sibling as jealousy. You got it. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. Bye.